1 p.m. on the East Coast. That means 1, 12, 11, 10, p- 10 a.m. out there where Dan is. And <laughs> yeah. God only knows where Carter Worth is. But we will find out in a bu- few brief minutes because he's joining us. Today's market call brought to you, Dan, by FactSet. Not only are they our sponsor, they're our data provider. Financial data and analytics are, in fact, powered by tomorrow. Rangers got sh- basically shut out. La- not basically. They got shut out last night at yeah. home after a bit of a layoff. Um Officiating was not good. The Knicks were the first team in like over 20 years to lose a lead of that magnitude that late in the game. Luka Doncic, 60 points, 21 rebounds, 10 assists, dumb numbers. I mean, another MVP season for him. Nobody cares, I know. The Mets, not the Mets, the Red Sox apparently just signed Trevor Bauer to a one-year contract. God only knows why. Market's lower. That's what we're here to talk about. All right, guy. Wait, wait, hold on a second. I just got all up in your head there because literally right before we went on, I asked you, do you have any time for the Beach Boys? And then I get two God only knows in the first Mm -hmm. minute and a half of this conversation. So let's see what else you can do with the Beach Boys. Maybe it's something from the Brian Wilson family. I don't know. All right, let's talk about this. Well, I mean, it's clear that Carter's going to be doing the show from in his room yeah, well, so he is in, Car- in Car- room, Carter. Carter, Car- yeah, I see. I see what you did there. All right, let's 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 have some fun here today because we got just a handful of things that we want to cover. Carter is going to walk us through how he thinks about the dogs of the Dow strategy, and he's got a few charts and he's got some data to kind of back up the results of that. But you know, this this day, I mean, listen, guy. You know, we were just talking. We we're on a fast money call for the five p.m program and we were talking a little bit about this whole idea we spent the first couple weeks of december just like trying to answer the question are we going to get the santa claus rally and it's kind of funny because all these technicians i know i know it makes your eyes glaze over to me too um but again we know that you know the people on the tv they're looking for little devices right to keep things interesting um i don't even know what that means i I assume it means like are we going to rally in and around christmas i know those people who have the um the, the traders almanac they probably have some data about it but here we are this week Low volume, I'm thinking, but we're seeing some individual stocks with very high volume. We're also just seeing some really interesting moves at technical levels. And so, again, it feels like, you know, if you rode that rally up from mid-October and you thought maybe we could break out of that downtrend in the S&P 500, we have a one-year chart of this. We had that brief breakout. We've talked about it, rejected there. And now it just really feels like, I mean, the markets, the stock market feels really heavy right now, guy. Yeah, well, the, the old saying also, never short a dull market, and the market's yep. pretty dull, but yet it's seemingly, you know, sort of gravitating, and it's not levitating, you know, headed back lower. And those calling for the year-end rally, well, you got, what, two and a half days or so left for it to happen, and it's not really manifesting itself. And we'll look at the trend lines, because as Carter would say, the lines draw themselves. And I said it yesterday, and I'll say it here again. You know, that false breakout that we got on that day, the CPI day, I believe, yeah. where obviously the market opened up significantly higher, only to give it all back. I, I do believe, Dan, we'll be talking about that day for weeks, if not months to come in terms of how it was a bit of an outlier. And it compared it to that false breakout. And Carter remembers this because he pointed it out in the IWM over a year ago. That lasted uh, for more than a few sessions. This one lasted for a few hours. And, and here we are. Yeah. You know, these stocks continue to sort of give it up very slow, uh, not dramatic move to the downside. Seems pretty orderly to me. Still have a VIX below 24. So it's playing out, I think, the way we thought it would for, for quite a long time now. 
Yeah, so it's interesting. You use the term orderly guy, and we're looking at this one-year chart. Let's keep this up here for a second. So look at that spike bottom of that reverse low that we had in mid-October. It looked like you know we were just going to careen lower in the S&P. I think we were down maybe three or so percent um, at its lows, and we had that big reversal closed um, up on the day, kind of back and filled a little bit, but then ultimately had nearly a 20% rally off those intraday lows. And you know you have to go back to kind of June and, and just the sell-off that we had into that reversal. It was also in and around um, a Fed meeting mid-month, that sort of thing. That felt panicky. That one day in October felt panicky. But aside from that, I mean, the sellers have been you know, yeah. they've been really orderly. And you've used this expression, if anything, in this bear market in 2022, it's the rallies that have felt panicky. It's just kind of that fear of missing the bottom here. But man, when you look at that red line from upper left, bottom right, it's kind of hard to play unless there's some big fundamental news that changes the dynamic of basically where interest rates are going to be, where this kind of currency back and forth is going to be. With You've used this expression probably 100 times this year, pesky and persistent as it relates to inflation, we know inflation has peaked, but the level in which wages and some other parts of inflation um, you know, have stuck around, those are going to weigh on S&P earnings. And that's why this chart will not resolve itself the way it has. And these, like, I guess you call them local bottoms over the course of the last year. Well, I mean, the two that you mentioned, the June bottom and this October bottom, they also were correlated with a VIX that I think was trading around 34 yeah. at the time. And you had a couple days in a row where you saw some stupid intraday moves, both higher and lower. And we flagged them at the time. We said, you know, this typically is symbolic or emblematic is probably a better word of a short term bottom. And that played out. But you're not seeing any of that right now. You see still in a pretty tame VIX. You haven't really seen any of these crazy intraday moves. Nobody seems to be all that exercised about it. So that would suggest a chart that has a series of lower highs and lower lows. Well, the next one would be a lower low. And that's something we've been pretty consistent about. So you know, it's interesting. Again, you know, I bring this up. Hopefully there's some new people watching. We always associate panic with selling. I mean, we've been conditioned to yeah. believe that. And you brought it up correctly that the panic, most of the panic that we've seen literally for the last year has been on these big up days and, and people are just reticent to point that out. Yeah, no doubt about it. Let's look at the five-year chart of the S&P 500. We pointed this out on numerous occasions. You and I both had a target starting out of the year. We thought that the S&P would round trip to those pre-pandemic highs just below 3,400. We got to kind of like a really interesting range. We got 3,490 back there mm -hmm. in October on that panic day. It just really feels like it's going to be a foregone conclusion that we do that. We, we know that there's been a lot of stocks in a lot of different sectors have round tripped that entire move. So we're going to continue to highlight that. I'd also mention that as we see a lot of strategists come out with their S&P 500 targets that are based on earnings estimates for 2023, it's kind of not hard to get there. We've talked about, fine, you want to put a 16 multiple on $180 or $190 or $200, you still get down to the low 3000s. And that's kind of where we're targeting here. So that's something to keep an eye on. Any thoughts on that as far as these strategists kind of throwing some stuff up against the wall, seeing what sticks here as far as targets? That's right. Price. No, listen, yeah. I think that's exactly right. It becomes math at a certain point. And, you know, we've had some guests on to talk about historically, you don't see a trough in both earnings and multiples at the same time. They're usually yeah. somewhat staggered. Okay, I'll, I'll buy into that. But still, I mean, earnings, earnings basically is the major pillar of the market. And if earnings expectations continue to get ratcheted down, and I think Mike Wilson might be the low on the street at 180 or so bucks with his bear case or base case, I should say, yeah. 
I mean, again, what sort? Even if you put a seventeen multiple on that, then you're still, you know, you're still significantly south of thirty four hundred. And I don't know. I again, I'm, I try to figure this out, and I'm not being dogmatic. I just don't understand why you're going to start seeing earnings surprises in this environment. Why earnings should grow in this environment it just doesn't make any sense to me. So. I think more and more people are coming to that realization. I also think more people are coming to the realization that despite the fact that, you know, in a couple months, the Fed might be done raising rates, those rates are going to remain elevated for the foreseeable future a lot longer than I think most people anticipated or a lot longer than I think the market is taking into consideration right now. Yeah. So, Guy, we get asked, the, you know, this question all the time, whether it's beyond Fast Money or, or just from some of our listeners or viewers here. You know, what do you buy when you think you're going to get mm. to one of those kind of rallies that we had in, in June and October? And I think you and I, you know, documented, timestamped here. We played those both really well. For me, the, the the trade was Qs and Twos, right? I was talking about the QQQ. I want to kind of the NASDAQ 100. I, you know, a lot of people think we hit that Dan Loeb tweet yesterday on our OK Computer podcast. He was just kind of highlighting he is a, a very successful hedge fund manager or a third point he doesn't think um you know kind of clinging to the prior leaders and those are the mega cap tech names are going to be the ones that lead us out i kind of disagree with that but again he he does something very different than what i do so to me when i think that the market has reached one of those local lows and i want to play for a 10 15 rally i'm going to buy the cues because i think those are the most rate sensitive and probably the highest hardest hit names and then i also want to buy you know you've been talking about the tlt which is kind of the inverse if you're buying that you think that yields are going lower that's what i kind of want to do too i played that through the govt on this last one and i did buy some tech stocks but q's and twos or 20s that's going to be my trade guy look at this qqq and look at that green line that we drew right there that is the closing low in october in that mid-october it's the closing low in early november when we retested and we're there now now we're a little above it we're rallying right now Tell, talk to me a little bit about the relative underperformance. I know we spent a lot of time yesterday talking about Tesla, NVIDIA, and Apple. That's probably it. We know that they make a huge percentage of the QQQ. But what do you think of my Qs, and Twos, or 20s? No, it makes it makes perfect sense. And you just have to wait for the correct entry point to your point. And I maybe we're there. And listen, obviously, the market seems to be bouncing over the last 10 or so minutes. And when we started, we'll see if that holds up and if it's got any legs to it. But you know, I don't think this is, again, uh, anything to get all that excited about. I look at this, and I think Carter would agree. I mean, there are no really such things as triple bottoms, which leads me to believe at some point this will take out the October low, led by the names that you mentioned. But, you know, if you're looking to play for a tradable bounce, it's not a terrible level. I don't think um, – I just don't think we're – it just doesn't feel yeah. like we're there yet. No, I, I agree with that. And, again, you know, we have a five-year chart. <clears throat> it takes you back to that kind of – pre-pandemic high, I don't really see any reason why we shouldn't get there. That's 238. At some point, maybe below 250, you start dollar cost averaging. None of us are going to kind of catch the bottom. Um, but yields have been really the story here. Yeah. And we have the one-year chart of the 10-year yield. And we don't really, you know, yesterday we spent some time on the 210, um, which is kind of narrowed a bit here. But, you know, we have a 10-year guy at 385, out, you know, up from 345 in just a week and a half or so. Never got to that downtrend, or excuse me, that uptrend that's been in place for, I don't know, since early this year. The 200-day is down there at, what, 310 or so. I mean, this is kind of really the story. I think the higher that the 10-year yield goes is the lower that some of these higher valuation tech stocks that are seeing decelerating earnings and sales growth right now. I think that's exactly right. And I think there'll be some people that would submit that higher rates are suggestive of an economy that's improving. I, I don't think that's what's going on at all. 
I think the bond market is struggling to try to figure out, you know, what is the right rate in this environment. But 10-year yields going higher here, it's not doesn't mean the economy's getting better and it doesn't mean that earnings are getting better. And again, you know, if you've been buying tech stocks as from 430 and 10-year yields down to 348, uh, and that may have worked for you to try to get bullish on them now because rates are going higher. It's somewhat counterintuitive. So it surprised me that 10-year yields didn't go lower. I thought they might get down to three and a quarter. So that didn't happen. I thought twos, tens could get inverted to the tune of 1%. It got to 83 basis points, I think. So that didn't happen. But there's still, you know, despite the fact that we're a couple years into this, which is remarkable, the bond volatility still remains. And it's remarkable to see these instruments trade the way they do on a daily basis. I don't think all right. that's necessarily all that healthy either. Yeah, no doubt about it. Let's talk about what Jeffrey Gunlock, he is the CEO founder of uh, Double Line Capital. He is nicknamed the Bond King. Yesterday mm -hmm. he tweeted this. And I thought this was really interesting. He tweeted, when a huge bond fund complex has noticeably outsized daily NAV markdown amidst a fairly benign market environment, watch out. That happened today. Then another tweet, leverage limits being reached by borrowing to meet redemptions, forcing sales to meet redemptions beyond that limit, causing a remark of illiquid assets is one way uh, such step function down in NAV relative to the market can occur. So he's saying, watch out. Uh, God, what happened in, in your opinion? You're talking about the volatility. So he's basically saying that he's a knowledge of one big bond fund that's facing huge redemptions and talking about that volatility. That's the sort of thing that could cause maybe a rebalance um, at year end. And then you're looking at the TLT, you know, this ETF moves in the opposite as the yep. way yields are going of the 20-year um, treasury. Um, this is at a key level here. And I'm just curious, we overlaid that tweet because I don't even know exactly what he's talking about. But when Jeffrey Gunlock says, watch out, I want to watch out. And I don't know what I'm well, watching out for. You know, you have to, you know, when you hear bond fund, you immediately think of PIMCO. I have no idea, you know, who yeah. or what groups he's talking about, but that's the first name that popped into my head. And then the next thing is there's never only one cockroach. So if one goes, it typically is a cascading thing. And does it, you know, does it make its way into the equity market? Yeah, probably it does at some point. But for Jeff Gunlock to say, well, I mean, he, you know, he chooses his words somewhat carefully. There'll be people on this feed and I'm sure there are people on Twitter that are saying he's talking his book. And quite frankly, he probably is. But, you know, he's put that that's what you want him to do. Right. You want him to have an opinion and to back up that opinion with position. So that's really the conundrum that I think people have difficulties dealing with people making comments like that and then subsequently saying, well, he or she is talking up or talking down their book. Of course they are, because that's what they get paid to do. But it doesn't mean necessarily that he's wrong. Matter of fact, real quickly before we get to Carter here, let's just look at the 10-year the, the chart of this TLT because, you know, going back to 2012, Guy, it, this is this is contending with a, a big um, technical yeah. level. So it'd be interesting to see if what Jeffrey is talking about, if anything comes out and what we see Treasury yields do, because the point is, um, you know, normally you would see yields in a flight to quality, right? If you're, if you're worried about something blowing up, you might see, you know, large institutions buy Treasuries, which would put push down yields, right, which would cause the TLT to go the opposite way. This is going to be an interesting one. All right, let's see if we can bring Carter in because he is uh, doing, as you would say, yeoman's work guy. Would you yeoman's, say yeeoman's work, work? coming to yeoman's us from work. parts unknown. There's oh, a no. there's some sort of love seat behind him uh, that has pastels, which suggests that he is probably someplace in Florida. And the significance of the pastels, I would submit, means he's probably <laughs> in the Florida Keys somewhere. 
hiding out, no doubt, from uh, some law enforcement agent or something what like is that. that. What does that mean? <laughs> wait, wait, Florida Carter, Carter did you commit? At, did you commit any chart fouls? Is that what's going on over here? All right, listen, talk to us. We know that you have some difficult um, connectivity. Talk to us a little bit about what you think has gone on here in, in the equity markets this week, because it does feel like just kind of wholesale selling. And then on the flip side, what's happened to yields? Any thoughts in the year end? And do you place a lot of emphasis on these sorts of moves in a light volume holiday shortened week as we kind of turn the calendar, turn the page on the calendar? Sure. First, that's to decor. Yes, if a main cottage in the north looked like this, you'd think the person was out of their mind. So I'm definitely in Florida, parts unknown. In any event, um, look, the market is uh, the market is is stuck, right? You've got you've got great excess. That's what we had off of the COVID low. The great excess, the move from the COVID low to the high of this year was a function of the great collapse associated with COVID, literally a force majeure, an act of God, a plague. And then we've given back a great deal of the excess. And we sit sort of in nowheres. Now, my hunch is lower. It, it always has been that. And you know why? Because we haven't wrung out all of the excess. And so how much lower unknown? But I think it's a case of you can eliminate big up and so you're left with sideways or down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree well, with that. Talk, I'm, I'm, I'll go ahead, Dan. Sorry about that. No, no, no. no. I, you know, guy, we were getting our wires crossed here a little bit. You know, you get in there because I want to. Well, hear there's a, there's a delay. I think. I think that we're yeah. all on some sort of a lag. But you know, yeah. you heard us talking, and quickly, I'm sure you have some thoughts on this. But the fact that the panic we've seen this year has been to the upside, which makes sense in a bear market, and I think people get themselves twisted, as always associating panic with selling. Sometimes that selling can be orderly. And quite frankly, sometimes that selling makes a lot of sense. And I think that's the environment that we found ourselves in. Thoughts? Yeah. I mean, remember, most people, 98% of all capital is long only. I mean, that's just the way it is. And so um, when things are down, people are happy. When they're up, people are happy, generally speaking. And when it starts going up a lot after a swoon or sell-off, you get panic because people say, my gosh, I've always heard you've got to stay in and my broker tells me to stay in and all the studies say stay in and don't get shaken out. But I did get shaken out, which was smart because I missed some of the low, but now it's going back up. I better get back in. All of those things are in play almost all the time. Yeah. Hey, all right. So Carter, let's hit a few charts and we definitely want to get to your dogs of the Dow here a little bit. You know, we spent some time talking about crude this year. It's a pretty well-defined downtrend off of those kind of blow off um, highs that we had, which was, you know, maybe kind of a double top ish sort of thing here. Um, one year chart here, again, that support line is really nothing. Just talk to us a little bit about what you're expecting in the new year, because, you know, we've been talking and we want to hit China and we want to look at the FXI for a second is that, you know, China coming online, you know, supposedly like getting rid of all these zero COVID, it may actually have the exact opposite effect with millions of Chinese, um, you know, kind of going around the world with really bad vaccines, maybe infecting, you know, other parts of the world after they've been shut down for three years. And then maybe people going there and bringing it back. And maybe it actually coincides with the U.S. weakening, Europe weakening, all of the above here. You know, you know what I'm saying? So I'm just curious, is crude oil, yeah. is it reflecting that a little bit? Uh, perfect, perfectly reasonable. In fact, I think I was I was looking at headlines, but I think I saw something in the last that a plane that landed in Milan, uh, fifty percent of the people it was from China tested positive for COVID. 
I mean, yeah, you know, you, you're going to send this thing back around the world again. Here's the thing about crude. We know, too, it had that excess associated with the Ukraine invasion. We've given back basically all of that and then some. And here and now, it's not actionable. There's no discernible immediate opportunity, to my eye, long or short. Like sometimes there's great moments where we can make a bet. Do you really bet long here? Why? Do you really press this short? Why? It's just here it is. It's a pair of twos. I love that. Pair of twos or two seven offsuit. You brought some dogs of the Dow chart, as Dan just alluded to. I love when you bring your charts with it, despite the fact that you're in parts unknown. Walk us through it, dubs. Yep. So the dogs of the Dow, it's a catchy uh, title or phrase, right? Um, and so it's a concept uh, popularized by O'Higgins in the 90s basically making the case that you can take of the 30 Dow constituents, the 10 stocks with the highest dividend yield and go ahead and bet them for the year ahead. Now, it's in principle betting on stocks that are down. But for instance, not always. Chevron is a dog of the Dow this year. It's one of the top 10 highest yielding stocks, and yet it's up 46%. So it's it's not a necessarily just buying weakness. It's buying stocks with very high yields on the thinking that these are blue chip companies that don't change their yield payouts or cut their dividends casually. And that if you're getting one of those stocks at a high yield moment, it's because uh, you're at the bottom of a cycle. Stock is for lower, them. right. Right, exactly. So anyway, dogs of the Dow, you see two lines here. It's very straightforward. This is the dogs of the Dow. There's, a, there's, an, e there's an index called MUT which is a great symbol, MUT, M-U-T, which is that green line versus the Dow itself, which is to say yields are so important in terms of total return. I think we've got an S&P chart that also uh, examines this. And this it is important. So while each of us, I am anyway, and, and many people here and the two of you are trying to find trades, great moments where you commit capital and hold it for six weeks or four months. In terms of long-term investing, and everyone has long-term investments, Yields are basically half the game. And you see it right here. This is the S&P total return versus the S&P. The total return with dividends reinvested has doubled the actual S&P. So for those who are thinking long-term, putting aside money for uh, different purposes or relatives who are younger, whatever it might be, yields are very important to a long-term uh, investment approach. In any yeah, event, look so at the... Um, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So, but, but Carter, so you just mentioned, and, and before we get to the single names, so again, you know, the data that you're tracking suggests that if you were to buy these names that fit that criteria and hold them for a year, they're going to outperform the Dow. Is that correct? And and then I'm just curious because you talk to a lot of kind of fast money hedge funds. You talk to a lot of big money, you know, uh, mutual funds, uh, pension funds who are less likely to move. Are, are the hedge funds sometimes, is it that they get into some of these names early, you get a nice 20%, whatever the outperformance is relative to the index, and then you move on? Or do you kind of, is the idea is kind of buy and hold over that period to get that sort of outperformance? Right. The dogs, the down premise is to hold them, right? You buy them in the year and hold them for the yeah. full 12 months or longer. But if you really think about what it is, it's value investing versus growth. And so yeah. to your point, we do speak to probably 40 of the 50 biggest hedge funds, their clients, as well as mutual funds and uh, endowments. But it's the style of the manager that determines that no growth manager is going to be interested in getting Verizon or, or, or you know, a beaten up uh, high yielding energy stock. Whereas a generalist who's 
just benched against the S&P, will consider a high-yield circumstance uh, if, if he thinks, of course, that there's growth or some prospects of growth for the shares yeah. as well. So it's case by case. All right, walk us through. Um, the, we might have some names here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the, the, I think we've got the first one. This is the list, right? This is the dogs of the Dow. Uh, the line is where the dogs of the Dow cut off. So that's every Dow constituent. This is the current dividend yield as of um, Friday's close. And you see there on the top is Verizon. So let's take Verizon. I mean, it's, it has no growth as a business, none, right? But you saw that dividend yield uh, at, at almost 7%. Uh, it's covered two times. Uh, their, their earnings are double what they pay out. So is that a pretty good bet, that yield alone? You could say, yeah, but the stock can lose that tomorrow. But the stock looks to be bottoming out. Now you can draw the lines this way. You can draw them this way with a trend line. You can put those two together. That's, to my eye, that's money good. You want to buy here. It's a depressed stock down a lot. And it's offering us a yield that is covered, all things considered. I think that belongs in a portfolio. Carter, um, real quick, to, before we go but, to the next one, I look at this, and if you can bring that chart back up and look at July, that gap in the chart suggests to me that it's not happening tomorrow, maybe not happen ever, but is that something you look at for a potential level in this thing? Well, that is a, that's a lot of swimming back to the surface. So this yeah, baby's is. way down on the bottom of the deep end here, trying to like try get back up. But but yes, you could you could ultimately get back into that zone. I, I think, you know, playing certainly for the, sort of the 45 juncture where that stop, where it gapped down, those gaps are associated from 50 to basically 45 in three days. I mean, that would be pretty good eating on a one-year basis if you've got the yield plus a move to 45. I think we've right, got- cool. um, Yeah, we got a couple more. Have, yeah, and Cisco. So um, actually, I've, I think I've, this is actually Cisco. These, these look to be uh, titled incorrectly. This is Cisco. Uh, so that's my fault. Um, that's a that's a bottoming affirmation, right? A stock uh, that's weak, that's turning. Now, if you look at the next chart, which is which is um, that's, that's Amgen. Amgen. Yeah, that's Amgen. So this is a, a breakout that's fallen back to the level from which it broke out, which is one of the more identifiable moments in markets. Which is to say, it's fundamentals, it's facts, it's data, it's good things that caused that stock to move from 260 to almost 300. And now that it's back to the level from which it broke out, in principle, you're buying a security, this security, this stock, at the level it was before the news was released, but you have the benefit of the news known. It's an excellent level for a rebound. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm going to interject real quick. I look at this. That is, by the way, if you put that chart up again, again, that is Amgen, not Cisco, just for yeah. in case somebody joined late. But, you know, that move up was basically based on earnings, valuation. That stock was lower left, upper right for a considerable period of time. This move back down to 260 was news based. It was based on this deal for Horizon Therapeutics that obviously the market didn't necessarily like all that much. But the fun, to your point, um, we've basically gotten back to levels that were resistance. So past resistance becomes support. I'm with you 100% on this one, Dubs. Yeah. All right, good. Carter, before we get out of here, and, and I know um, 
<clears throat> you know, this is kind of a, a hard, uh, I guess, a, a hard turn here. Um, I want to go back to China for a second here because we were talking about commodities and, and kind of why crude might be um, a little weak here. And we were talking about, again, maybe there's another wave of COVID that's coming here. And I do think it's ironic that you mentioned Milan because you have to go back to Fashion Week in January of 2020, where supposedly that's where a lot of the first cases were popping up and they were coming mm -hmm. from China. So there is a certain sense of irony about that. But let's look at the FXI. This is the iShares China large cap ETF. And we see that some of the largest holdings are a lot of these internet stocks. It's Tencent, it's Medawan, it's Alibaba, it's JD. Um, but there's also some industrial names in there. This is the one-year chart. It looks identical charter to the um, S&P. If you look at that downtrend, you look at where the 200-day moving average is. And we're kind of contending with that downtrend. If we look at it on a five-year basis, okay, we just got above that really nasty downtrend here. Talk to us about this and how you'd be thinking about playing this. Yeah. So while the, the, the circumstance is similar, the order of magnitude is considerably different, right? So it, it like the S&P, is at a rally to a difficult level. But its relative strength is, is and the KWEB is even better. My hunch is to bet long here, to be long KWEB, to be long FXI. Absolute, but certainly relative to SPY. You know, it's interesting before we get out of here, Dan, one of the questions was about the HY. It wasn't a question as much as a comment. Uh, this HYG down significantly yesterday on a generally benign day. And it's worth watching. And we've talked about this for a while. And, you know, I'm not necessarily looking to, for you to opine, uh, Carter, but HYG, to me, the real thing you got to watch is if credit starts to become a concern again in the form of HYG, that's when things can get a little bit dicey. So, I'm glad one of our viewers pointed that out. I had saw it yesterday as well. I remember Karen talked about it last week as a short idea. Uh, and this seems to have, again, traded up to the moving average and seems to be rolling over. Dan, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that before we get out. Well, I think it has something to do with what Gunlock was saying yeah. in a way. And so, again, maybe that's going to kind of find its way into the markets in early January. Carter, one last thought here because – the lower we go into year end, okay, like where some of these stocks are just getting like, you know, we saw, you know, what's happened to Tesla and NVIDIA and Apple this week. Um, you know, is it like likely that we see new money come in in early January and we kind of get back on our horse and we start rallying a little bit? Um, but again, then we're quickly going to be dealing with earnings, Q4 earnings, which are likely to be disappointing when you think about a lot of companies issue full year guidance on their Q4 calls. And then also we have a Fed meeting on February 1st. So I'm just curious, if we were to continue to go lower over the next two trading days, would you expect the first week of January, maybe the first two weeks to kind of be up? Right, so there, there are a lot of fixed phenomena in January. When the year turns, tax loss selling is over. Uh, when the year turns, people who put automatic contributions into their 401k, the January inflows, and so forth. And so um, all of that notwithstanding, some of the great wipeouts of all time have been basically in the first days of January. We saw that in 73, 74 bear market. We saw that this year, Jan 4, 2018. It was late January, early February, and we dropped about 15%. My own thinking is it's going to be weak, uh, even though we've been weak this year, and that um, the earnings are, are going to be very unhappy. Or at least the reaction to the earnings is going to be unhappy. Yeah, I agree with that. Again, we, we started the show. We talk about it all the time. Fundamentals at a certain point matter in terms of just valuations. And then we talk about it, and the earnings are just not there to support it. And you overlay the technicals that Carter does for us a couple times a week and does every day for his clients. 
and again, Dan, it doesn't paint necessarily all that rosy a picture. You will get another one of these capitulatory bottoms again that we saw in June and October. But again, just to hammer it home, you're just not seeing it yet. Matter of fact, I, I, I'm in the camp that I think it's going to be a busy last couple of weeks of January, early February, when you kind of layer in just what we're going to hear from earnings and then the combination of what the Fed said or does not say. But I guess, Guy, you've been pointing this out all year long is that, yeah, OK, they're going to stop raising at 75 or 50 basis points at a clip, but yields may not come down that quickly. So if that's kind of a big part of your investment thesis in the equity markets in 2023, you better think again. All right, Guy, take us out, bud. Thank that's you, Carter. It. Braxton Worth. We appreciate it, man. Love. Look, he's going to be on CNBC's Thanks, Fast Money this evening at 5 p.m., as Dan Nathan will be. Yeah. <laughs> so it'll be Dan in L.A., Carter in Parts Unknown, me from my basement in Morristown, I think Steve Grasso <laughs> probably from Westchester, Mel Lee doing it from the set. But that's it for Market Call today. I want to thank our sponsor, FactSet Financial Data and Analytics, powered by tomorrow. We will be back tomorrow, Thursday. I'm not sure if EY from SoFi is joining. I'm not sure if Butters is around, but we'll be here, Dan. Yeah, we will. All right. We'll see you guys. Thanks so much. Thanks, Carter.